we are conditioned to be compassionate and nurturing and, and that's great. Like we, that doesn't need to go away, but we also have to be compassionate and nurturing to ourselves. And mm-hmm. that's where we neglect, right? We start saying, Oh, well, they're a small business owner and I just really want to help them. Yeah. I'll work till 11 PM on this. And then you don't eat dinner on time and like all this stuff gets neglected for yourself. And then you're not as effective as of a business owner the next day. Welcome to the latest episode of the Finding Fearless podcast. I'm your host, Madeline, and today I have a great episode for you featuring Jessica Blassingame. Jessica and I connected a number of years ago when I was working for Intuit and primarily partnering with accounting firms in the Bay Area. It was around this time that her and I first got linked up, and I remember us sharing kind of our personal stories over a cup of coffee one time at a cafe, and it really drove us to just kind of recognize that we had common ground. And I wasn't sure when I stopped working for Intuit if my path would ever cross with her again. But luckily for me, she reached out a while ago on Facebook. And although I'm not a huge Facebook fan, it was awesome to get reconnected with her through that medium and catch up with what she'd been doing over the past couple of years. Um, I had known that she was interested in a lot of the things that I am also passionate about, like yoga and fitness and wellness. And I was able to catch up and see the transitions her business had gone through over this period of time. So I won't give too much more away, but I'm really excited to give you guys a glimpse into the world of somebody who's really making kind of two things that would seem quite disparate, um, mold together and, and bled together in a way that's really natural and really organic and has led to a business that truly represents, you know, the different facets that we all have inside of ourselves. I think sometimes we feel like we've got to be, you know, one person in our business life and another person in our private life. And I think that some of the best businesses are those that are allowing people to show up and be their fullest self every single day and I loved talking to Jessica and hearing her story because I think that she really has navigated a path to figure out how to create a business that allows her to bring everything that she's interested in and passionate about into play for her clients. So without further ado, here's the latest episode featuring my conversation with Jessica Blassingame. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Finding Fearless podcast. I'm your host, Madeline, and here today with me is Jessica Blassengame. Jessica and I connected many years ago in the world of accounting. Her background is actually as a certified public accountant, and she's also an Intuit Advanced QuickBooks Online Pro Advisor, as well as a yoga teacher. And she started her career working for a big four accounting firm and then transitioned into a corporate finance role in her career at a utility company. And in 2011, she decided to leave that corporate world to build a business that connected to some of her values in the health industry and provided health coaching services, corporate wellness programs, and yoga classes to companies throughout the the Bay Area. Um, And in that work, she started to connect with many businesses that were needing financial support, which is what compelled her to start her own company, Beam Financial Group, which is a consulting company that she's going to talk about today. But I just wanted to say welcome to Jessica. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. 
Thank you, Madeline. I'm excited to be here. So my first question that I always like to kick off with is to have you tell me a little bit about your story. How did you become the woman that you are today? Yeah, thank you. Um, so you've heard my intro, so you know kind of where I've moved around to. So let me speak a little bit to maybe why I made some of those moves. Um, I did start my career early in big four public accounting and then went on to work for utility. And kind of when I was at the utility company, um, it was, you know, very corporate world. I really wasn't happy there. I, at the same time, started having a lot of chronic health issues. Um, I'm sure partially related to not being happy with the work, but also just, you know, some imbalances that I needed to address. I was working too much, not sleeping enough, not eating right, all of that. So I was feeling sick and that kind of led me to be interested in nutrition. So I started doing a lot of research around, you know, how can I get healthy again? And through that, just sort of discovered I had a passion, you know, in health and I wanted to help other people in my situation get healthy. So um, I saved up a lot of money and decided to go off on my own and start a business in the health field, which was totally different than um, accounting, obviously. And my dad, you know, had a mini nervous breakdown. Um, he's an accountant as well. He's a CPA. So that was, you know, a big transition, but it was what I really felt like I needed to do. I felt like I needed to leave accounting completely. I just, I just wasn't happy there um, and explore this other realm. And um, I was really happy doing it. It was scary and I wasn't making a lot of money in the beginning. Uh, but I, you know, I was health coaching. I was started doing some corporate wellness programs. I started teaching yoga um, so I was kind of expanding my offerings. I had a digital cleanse program that I offered at the time. And like Madeline said, I just started meeting a lot of business owners and they were, you know, finding out what my background was. Oh, you were in accounting. Like, can you help me with the financial piece? You know, there are these super intelligent, creative entrepreneurs, but they just weren't very connected to the financial piece of their business. So they started asking me a lot about that. And that's where I kind of realized, oh, there's this, you know, huge opening in the market where people need this support and it really helps them run their business, which is very appealing to me. So I kind of um, got directed back into the accounting industry, which I think is interesting. You know, everything kind of goes full circle. <laughs> um, so I, you know, started learning small business accounting, which was different than corporate accounting. And I loved it. So that was like a a big surprise to me. You know, I had sort of shunned accounting a little bit. And once I started learning small business accounting, I was like, this is really great. Like you're really learning the workings of a business. Um, so I, you know, learned QuickBooks online. I beefed up my knowledge on small business accounting and I started working with all of these entrepreneurs and my business just started growing. I think sometimes when you find that place that you're supposed to be, things just sort of happen for you. And that was my experience. Like I just started more and more having clients come my way. It wasn't even really marketing that much, but um, I was getting, you know, business growth. So that's, you know, kind of where I am now. I'm mostly focused on this business being financial group and supporting small business owners and I'm really enjoying it. And then to go, what well, last thing I'll say about this is a lot of my clients work in the health industry and they came to me because I understood their industry. So that was kind of another nice thing where it all tied together, kind of made it worth it, you know, why I was in that health field for a long time. So 
That's That's my story. (laughs) It's super awesome to hear. And I, I think, you know, the lesson in it for me is like, you don't have to, to silo your, your personality. And I think we're starting to finally see more of this in the accounting space, which it's out of all the industries, it's taken the longest to touch in my opinion. Um, because I think there's like this perception that you have to be like this totally buttoned up person. Uh And, um, it's really cool to see someone like you who's taken, you know, what are seemingly like totally different uh, arenas and industries and you're marrying them together in with your, your interest and your passions. Like, obviously there was something that compelled you to be interested in, in, in the world of finance. Otherwise you wouldn't have just right. gone out and gotten a, a degree right. and become a CBA. But yeah. at the same time, like there's a part of your, your soul that's connected to, to, you know, this, this health and this wellness world. And I just see it as like the perfect marrying of the two. It's super cool. Thank you. Yeah. It was, you know, it was interesting when I started getting clients on the business side that, a lot of people would come to me and say, oh, I saw your health business or I saw that you're a yoga teacher and that's why I contacted you. And I never thought that would happen. I thought people would want to see me as this very serious CPA, you know, that had all this expertise in accounting, but they actually, they wanted to see another side of me and that's what drew them to me. So I I thought that was, you know, unexpected. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think it's, it's this thing that we're seeing a really big cultural shift towards is people just wanting more and more, more authenticity in the people that they interact with. Like, I don't think that, you know, people expect you just to be Jessica, you know, CPA. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, and, and it also is such a credibility factor for you. Like, I mean, I would trust, you know, my business so much more to somebody who, who gets exactly what I do because they've done it themselves. Like that's, that's such instant credibility. I would think to, to the clients you serve. Definitely. So, so I want to backtrack just a tiny bit here because you, you kind of dropped that, you, that your dad was a CPA. And I'm just curious, mm-hmm. you know, what got you interested in the world of accounting and finance? Was that your dad or was that something else? It's, yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I was a little bit rebellious in my younger years, so I, <laughs> to be honest. And I, I never really wanted to follow in his footsteps. I always respected him and, and you know, thought he was a very intelligent man. It wasn't about that. But I just you know, thought I didn't really want to be an accountant or like he was. Um, but I, after my undergrad, I was working in, uh, I wanted to be a buyer. So I was working kind of in the retail field and I wasn't happy there. And so I started thinking, what is the best degree I can get that I could do a lot of things with? Cause I'm not really sure what I want to do yet. And I, I had a feeling I might want to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I also wanted the option to work in sort of a corporate setting if, you know, if that opportunity presented itself. So to me, accounting was like the best, most well-rounded degree that where you really got to, you know, learn the inner workings of a business. And then I could go on and do several different things with it. So that's kind of how I ultimately settled on that. And when I did, my dad was like, I just want to be sure you're not doing this because I'm pressuring you into it. (laughs) And I was like, no, you know, that's not the reason I, you know, I had other reasons, but now I feel, you know, really blessed that we're in the same industry. But at the time, I, I kind of had to make sure it was my own thing that I wanted to do. <laughs> isn't isn't it funny how like you you want to be a little bit rebellious against? Yeah, you want like, to find your own way, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think you know, kudos to your dad for like giving you that opportunity to to you know to verify whether or not it was really about you know you or if it was yeah. kind of about that outside influence. I mean, for me, my mom is an artist and 
I joke, like when people are like, why did you originally go to school for science? I'm like, well, I got into art school, but I didn't, <laughs> you know, I was yeah. rebelling with my mom. So I went and right. was like, I'll go get a, a degree in biology, Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but it's, it's kind of reverse rebellion in a way. Cause in normal families, I think the art school would have been the rebellious act. Right. Right. Um, that's funny. But, but it's that's awesome to hear that that your dad was like was woke enough to 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 yeah Yeah, that was really nice that he stepped back yeah yeah Yeah. so so tell me about a little bit more about the health and wellness work like you know obviously you talked about experience chronic health issues I mean that's something I deal Mm -hmm. with in my own life with having fibromyalgia um tell me about you know waking up and realizing like you've got to do something different with, with your body like how how did that transition happen? How did that unfold? And how did you really make that leap? Because that's a, a big change to go from the security of, you know, yeah. corporate job to, to teaching yoga. You know, there's, yeah. there's a big difference there. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was sort of getting sicker and sicker. Um, not that I was like debilitated or anything, but I, you know, I was chronically tired. I had digestive issues. I had all kinds of stuff going on. And then I was in a career that I was extremely miserable in. So I'm sure that that played into it. Um, And I was, you know, sort of started out going the traditional routes, like, you know, working with traditional medical doctors and and trying to work on it that way. And I wasn't having any success. So I started, you know, going the other way, going into alternative healing and, um, you know, studying nutrition and working with some alternative practitioners. And and I started to make headway there. Um, But I, I, felt stuck at a certain point. Like, yes, I was making a lot of changes and I was seeing progress, but I was still pretty miserable in my daily life at, at the job I was at. And um, so at that time, I started working just part-time with health coaching clients. And I started realizing during the day, I would just you know sit there and be kind of miserable at my desk. And then I'd get home and I would do this part-time work. And all of a sudden, I'd have this burst of energy and I would just light up. You know, I was I could do that work forever. I just felt really like fed by it. Um, so that kind of woke me up and, and I was like, all right, I'm loving this and I'm hating this. And I, at a certain point I had a conversation with my mom and she was just like, you may not be perfectly set up with your money at this point, but you need to do this. Like, this is where you need to go. You need to pursue this. And I was like, you're right. I just, I'm so much happier there. So that's kind of why I finally, you know, took the leap. It's it's interesting because I think this is a moment that like it's it can be harder for some people to recognize, but you yeah. you described it so well. I I consider it it's like, um, it's like playing in your zone or it's like being in your path. Like I I, I can't describe it you know with words, but there is this sensation or feeling that comes about when you are suddenly doing the thing that you are supposed to be doing, yeah. and it feels so so different than the other, other work, because just as you described it, it lights you up. And like, I had this realization in my own life last year when I started um, doing more like direct coaching work with, with accounting firms. And when I also started leading more webinars and content that was super educational. And I was just like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't work hard enough on it. it. It couldn't be, you know, take more of my energy. I was like, I will give this everything I have every single day. Yeah. And I think, you know, not everybody has that spark in them. Like not everybody aspires to be an entrepreneur, but mm-hmm. I think that if you are the kind of person that 
you know, is sitting at a nine to five, not happy. (laughs) You've got to at least play around and kind of see if there's another path out there rather than just sitting there and suffering. Because like, it sounds like it had for you. And I know I've experienced this in my own life. Like it can have real, real consequences on on your, your whole entire well-being. Yeah, it really does. What, what do you see as, as being like the biggest benefits that have come out for you in, in transitioning away from the, that corporate world down to this, this path of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, um, I, I just love, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit of a stubborn person and, I, and I'll admit I like to have control of things. So <laughs> I like to do things my way. So as an entrepreneur, I, I get to do things my way every day. You know, I'm deciding what work I'm going to do. I'm even deciding who I'm going to work with, you know, what contractors, what clients I have control over that, um, which I love, but I also love the, the creative aspect. Like I just didn't feel that in, in the corporate position I was in that I had really any creativity or innovation. Um, you know, at the small business, you can constantly change your direction. You can offer new products, you know, you can just have new ways that you present your information. I mean, there's, a million ways to be creative, even if you're in like, you know, accounting is a drier field, I would say, but I still feel like I can be really creative in, in the way that I approach things. And that's been a huge, um, you know, thing that a difference between the corporate world and also the flexibility. Like I, I'm a hard worker, but I never liked being in the constraints of like, you need to be here working from nine to five. And if you don't like, you're in trouble. You know, I mean, I, I work at different hours. I'll take a break for yoga in the middle of the day, but sometimes I'll work into the evening if I'm feeling productive. So I can kind of work with my, you know, my most productive times, which you just don't get in the corporate world. So that's been really cool as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I, I think that that flexibility piece is such a um, a big deal. And yeah. I, I don't know if it's, it's necessarily, you know, a big deal just for women. I think it's a big deal period, but I think that, you know, women, especially cause I know you're pregnant now, but when you have kids, it's something that invariably we still live in a culture that sees women as the default in, when it comes to childcare. And so flexibility is just a must. And I see a lot of people who finally transition into this entrepreneurial mode when like, you know, you don't have any other option. (laughs) It's got to, you know, I've got to be able to figure out something better. And it's interesting too, because studies have shown um, that women, you know, when they reach this certain threshold, particularly in the corporate world, you, you climb the ladder to a certain point and then you're like, oh, like this is all there is here. Like, (laughs) just like, you know, in your world, it's like, you know, great tax season and 70 yeah. hour work weeks. I'm yeah. so glad like I got to this point in my I know. career. Like I, you know, and so, and then you just, I'm like, you exit stage left. Like you, there's just, it's not worth it. And I think that's one of the things that I didn't realize would be so transformational until I got to the point of, of being completely on my own was the fact that I can go to Pilates at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday mm-hmm. and feel no guilt Yes. Like, you feel nothing is wrong with Nobody's that. judging you or giving you side eye when you leave. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think the other one for me too is, is the productivity like factor. Yeah. Like I'm a pretty fast paced person. I'm super productive in my, in my working life. And, um, and if I want to do something quickly, I can and not be judged for, for dodging, you know, out of the rest of the workday because I got okay. it done. Yeah. You know? And, um, and I think that's something that still is just missing in a lot of the corporate world is that, you know, 
people still prioritize time spent versus quality mm -hmm. of work. Yes. I think there's not enough outlets for creative thinking. Like sometimes I, I just take the whole day to write and brainstorm and I yeah. can do that. And that's, it's such a nice contrast to have. Yeah. 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 I agree. So, so throwing, throwing in a curveball question here, because obviously if you're, you know, working with tools like QuickBooks online and, and running a business, which I'm going to assume, you know, maybe you do, do you do a mix of virtual work with clients or do you, do you meet with them in person? What does that look like? First of all, it's all, all my clients are virtual. Cool. Yeah, I kind of set that up. I wanted it to be that way. And it's worked out really well, actually, so That's far. Yeah. So, so obviously, that means you spend a fair amount of time on the computer. And this is a little bit of a, a personal question for me, because I'm still trying to life hack this one. How do you, how do you combat that? How do you combat the fatigue of you know, on one side of your world, wanting to be a person who's, you know, physical and in a healthy body, but also yeah. doing a job that requires you to be on a computer so much of the time. What are your kind of tips or tricks? Or yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, I take a lot of breaks. So I, you know, I try to break up my day. I'll, t you know, try to have a, like a noon yoga or go for a walk, like periodically throughout the day or go to lunch with someone. So I'm out with people or, you know, meet up somebody for a juice break or whatever it is. I try to make sure that that's in my day because it's easy to just get like, you know, where you're feel like you're in the basement, like trucking away all day. Mm -hmm. Um, so I definitely do that. I try to be really efficient when I'm, when I am working so that I have to work less hours and that works pretty well for me. I mean, if I really get in and focus, you know, maybe I can work six hours in a day instead of eight or nine, not always. Sometimes I work longer. Um, but if I can get really efficient, then I know that I can leave early and not have to be at my desk all day. Um, I'll also try to do things like if I don't have to be looking at a screen, maybe I'm just like, you know, talking with someone, business coaching them, I'll go on a walk while I'm talking to them <laughs> and that works well. So yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. Like I feel like when I'm here, I'm, I'm in the zone and when I'm, and then I, I go out and maybe I'll take a two hour yoga break and go to lunch and, and that sort of combats that I think. Yeah. I think breaking it up is such a, such a big thing. Like one of the things that I'm breaking down in my business too, is like double checking what actually needs to be done on a computer. So for example, yeah. it may take a little longer, but if I, um, I'm writing content, for example, I will actually write that down in a notebook and yeah, I've got to type yeah. it up after the fact, but at least that's time there. I'm separate from my computer and maybe my yes. brain works a little bit differently, or at least I like to think it does when I'm, you know, pen to paper. Um, yeah. and, I, and I do the same sometimes for like when I'm creating resources, like sometimes I can hit a hurdle when I'm working in a tool like Canva or Photoshop and trying to design like a, a PDF pack. And so I usually sketch it first mm -hmm. and then I've got like, you know, my, my kind of model that I then build up in a tool rather than just starting on the computer. And that's, yeah, it's helping like a little. That. And then my, my other one is I got this, this new tool this year, which I originally got it to just kind of measure ROI on some of my activities. Um, but it's this little device called Timeular, which is like a, it's oh, like yeah. a, have you seen that? Have you like Instagram sold it to me? I, think. I haven't seen the device. I, I feel like I've seen people using, is there a software connected with it? Exactly. So it's a yeah. software and then there's like this little diamond thing that's on your on your, that you can put on your desk and each side you can kind of assign to a different business activity. And you switch it around based off of like what you're doing, which is really insightful because you're like, oh, I spend way yeah. too much time doing X. Um, but 
the one thing is their software after 45 minutes of doing the same activity will pop up just like you would get like a calendar notification and it will say, uh, you've been at this for like 45 minutes. Do you want to take a break? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, like that's kind of an important thing. Like, yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's one thing that I'm interested to see is, you know, obviously you and I are totally connected to the tech space is like, how is tech going to transition to take better care of people? Because, yeah. uh, because, you know, invariably we're all your <laughs> eyes, you know, yeah. at least, and I'm starting to see, you know, more blue light glasses, but I'm like, how is this technology going to start thinking about like, you know, whether it's taking a break or, you know, phone shutting off at a certain time or other things like that. It's, it's kind of something I'm interested to see is the marriage between technology and wellness, which curious, curious to know your thoughts on, are there any, any things that, in that space that you're, you're kind of keeping up on? Um, I know there's like things I've seen are, are obviously new fitness trackers and mm-hmm. I keep getting ads for one of those, um, that thing that's supposed to like buzz and make you sit up straight. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> is there any like cool wellness tech that you keep up on at all? Yeah. You know, I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm anti some of those things, but I, I do feel like in my health journey, there was a time where I was sort of obsessed with tracking things, you know, whether that was what I was eating or, you know, lifestyle metrics or whatever. And, and I think that you can very easily get obsessed with that to a detriment, you know, yeah. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't use any tech that would support wellness, but um, I sort of had this period where I was like, I'm, I'm worrying about this too much and it's mm-hmm. sort of stressing me out. So I try to, you know, not think about some of that stuff as much. It's like, instead of like, you know, doing a Fitbit type thing, I just, I just need to move in my day. Yeah. I need to yeah. go like move my body. Yeah. So t- for me, that's like a little bit more helpful, but um, so I'm not probably answering your question very well. <laughs> no, well, no, it actually brings up something that's really important because for me, I, I did the same exact thing. Like I wore the device and I like kept track and I was like, oh my God, I don't get enough sleep and yeah. all of those things. And then it was funny. I like finally made the big purchase, which was like an expensive Garmin fitness watch. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. And I basically use it like a watch. I don't use, I, I like my husband, I got my husband one too. And he, he actually like really likes it and um, uses it for like all the workout features. But for me, I'm just like, Oh, I finally have a nice watch. And so occasionally it vibrates and it's like, you hit the steps. And I'm like, Oh, cool. whatever. <laughs> but for me, and I think for, for women in general, um, I think that there's been this, this fitness emphasis, emphasis on being so strong and so buff yeah. and all these things. And for, I think we're starting to move into a space that's a little bit more intuitive, I hope, and yeah, a little gentler. Exactly. I love, I love that word. Yeah. And I just, I want, like, I want people to be able to just be happy and content in their bodies without having to be like told, like, you're not stepping enough. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, you know, like, you know, when you're not moving, like you start to feel stiff and you feel fatigued and you know, all these things are happening. So if you're paying attention, like intuitive living, then you, you know that it's just a matter of going out and then doing something about it. But Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you said that. So, so coming back to the topic of, of entrepreneurship, I like to keep it super candid um, in terms of these conversations. And I'm, yeah. I'm just wondering you know, being honest, what, what have the drawbacks been or what have the hardships been in, in, you know, exiting corporate life to do your own thing and, and how have you navigated or overcome those, those hurdles as they've arrived? Yeah. 
Um, I was funny. I was thinking about that today when I first started my business, when I was in the health industry and I was, was very new and I lived in San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities and a very expensive apartment. And I was, you know, used to making a very comfortable salary with full benefits. And then I went to, you know, living out of my savings account and just making a little income and having no benefits. Um, and there was a time where I went to the grocery store and I bought like a couple items and my credit card declined, which is, you know, kind of weird being somebody usually pretty cognizant of money. And I was just like, wow, this is a low point. Like I, I can't even handle my money very well now and I'm struggling, but it didn't matter. Like I, I was obviously concerned about that, but I was like, I'm so happy where I am and I'm just going to, I know it's going to work out. Like I just had so much faith in it. And I kept at it and, you know, businesses take a while to grow and it kept growing and, you know, now I'm living a comfortable, happy life. Um, so, but that was a challenge, you know, I did have to switch from living, you know, pretty much buying what I wanted to buy and clothes and, you know, things like that, going out to fancy dinners. And then I had to switch to this world. Not that I was like, you know, suffering, but I, I was a lot more cognizant of my spending and, you know, I had to be smart about my choices and I feel like that was really valuable for me because now when I spend, I, I can spend, but I'm just very aware of, of what I'm buying and I appreciate it a lot. So I think that was a good experience to go through. But at the time, I mean, it was, it was challenging. It was a transition. Um, and then not having all these great benefits, that was kind of hard too. You know, I used to have all my contacts paid for and my eye exams. And, you know, so a lot of that was coming out of my pocket. So I just had to make sure that I was saving for that. And there was a period where I didn't go to the dentist for like five years, so, you know, sacrifices, but I got back to the place where I, you know, I'm, I'm in a good spot. So, you know, you yeah. just have to have faith in it a little bit. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's like, um, now that you're in the position where you're actually coaching other people on their finances and coaching people on business building, it's like, it, again, it's that credibility factor. You're like, I've yeah. been there. I've had to, you know, kind of scrimp and save and be strategic yeah. and, and deprioritize. And it's like, you know, I think one of the things that you don't realize is when you are in that kind of cushier corporate lifestyle is like how much you spend on like little things. <laughs> I <But> know. <laughs> like, I had this realization this week and, and I, my, the joke I made to my husband was, I was like, geez, like if only my pay had increased with inflation, the way coffee has, because I went <laughs> to my favorite yeah. coffee shop and granted, like, I'm a little bit of a high maintenance coffee drinker. Like yeah. I am that person. I'm not like foo-foo, but I get an alternative milk latte with a little bit of Yeah, milk. totally. Me too. This, this place <laughs> that I like has this really nice cashew coconut milk blend. Like mm. I'm bougie like that. But I ordered my coffee and it was $6.99. And I was like, <laughs> the hell? Like that's the price of a meal. Like I'm just, this yeah. is the average I'm going to drink. And then I was like, nope, that's like my cutoff point. Like if I counted up all of the money that I'm going to just, you know, spend on coffee this month, like not worth it. Like I would rather have that money in the bank to reinvest in my business yeah, or to make sure, you know, if, if anything happens, not according to plan that we have that cash on hand. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing is it allows you to have a bit more of an awareness about your money. Really and then does. in turn, you're coaching people on that. And so it allows you to speak with authority and say like, Hey, yeah. just cut the coffee and yeah. you can afford, you know, the tools and technology you need this month. Or, or yeah. Don't eat out 15 times a week. Like right there, you'll save like, 
you know, thousands of dollars a year. <laughs> exactly. It's so tempting yeah. though, being in the Bay area because oh, you can yeah. have like, the best food. <laughs> I know. I know. We like, we were starting to get in this habit of ordering caviar, which is like a delivery service when we lived in the city. And it was just like, sometimes it would be $50 for a dinner for two. And it was like, they were like burgers, you know, yeah. like fancy burgers. And I was like, man, this is ridiculous. You know? yeah. So we stopped doing that and saved a lot of money. <laughs> I know we've, we moved away from the city recently and it was so funny because one of the first things my son, I, the first time, like we got carry out here, like you, you have to go get it. Like they don't actually yeah. have Uber eats because we don't live in the city anymore. Yeah. And we were sitting in the parking lot and he was like, why can't the people bring the food to our house? <laughs> and I was like, one, this is cheaper. We're not paying that delivery fee. Yeah. And two, like when I was a kid, the only thing that delivered was pizza. So you yeah. <laughs> change of perspective. But yeah. it actually started saving us a lot of money because we were like, oh, wow. Like we did eat out a lot because it was so yeah. easy to, you know. I know. Um, There's so many good options. But yeah, we, we cook a lot more at home now, which is great health-wise, you know, yeah. <laughs> home-cooked yeah. food. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. so I want to, I, you know, one of the, the focus of, of the podcast here is, is obviously my, my, you know, listeners are prim, primarily, you know, female founders in their own right, or people who are interested as women, you know, going down the path of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that we talk about with every person we have on is, you know, what it is like to grow a business as a woman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, what is different about that in, in terms of, you know, it, there are opportunities and privileges that come with being a man in business. And there are experiences that women have in business that, you know, don't happen <laughs> to men, quite frankly. And mm -hmm. so I wanted you to talk about that. Like, what do you think sure. it has been different about your path? Um, what was it like you know, being a woman in, in, in corporate accounting versus, you know, what you experienced or saw with your male colleagues, like just talk a little bit about your experiences as a woman in particular yeah. and, and how that, that shifted your perspective. Yeah. Um, when, when I was in the corporate world, I, I remember, and I don't know if it was because I was a woman, I'm sure that was part of it. It was also because I was often the youngest person in the room, you know, especially when I was in audit, we would be in these meetings with like the CFO and the CEO, and we'd be telling them some major change they needed to make, you know, in their accounting treatment. And I'm like this little, uh, you know, straight out of college woman um, coming in and telling them something about their business that they've been running for 15 years. So I learned, I'd say pretty quickly that I had to be very clear and confident in the way that I spoke um, and not, you know, avert my eye contact or look down or feel timid or try to back away from something when it got tough. Um, so I think just the way that I present myself a lot, um, I learned that in my early career that I had to just be very, you know, confident and I had to know, I had to know my stuff, you know, I had to be able to back up what I was saying. Um, because I do think sometimes as a woman, maybe people are going to like question you a little bit more, like, you know, in a meeting or, you know, like try to get you to prove your point a little bit more. And I've seen that in my, um, in my uh, business now that sometimes people will, you know, kind of rapid fire questions that, well, what about that? And what about that? And did you think about that? And what are your qualifications on that? You know, and it's like, whoa. Um, and then you just take them one at a time and you address them in a confident, calm manner and it's fine. But um, so sometimes I feel like I have to be a little more prepared or, you know, speak a little more confidently than maybe a man would. <laughs> um, and that's fine. Like that I'm, I'm okay with that challenge. 
Yeah, I think I think I've always kind of put it as like, you know, you have to put in put in twice the amount of work to get half the recognition is usually what I saw. And um and and I think you described it perfectly. It's like, you know, there are these moments where you have to um to back up your authority a little bit more than than someone of the opposite gender would have to. And I I just appreciate you sharing that because I think one of the things is that um young women in particular, you know, who are coming up in this world are, are facing a really interesting time. Um, because we've got more women than ever in positions of power. And yet we still have systemic problems. Like last year, the number of, um, female CEOs at fortune 500s went down. Um, the number of women who are getting, uh, investment like nationally, in their startups, um, as female founders, I think that the rate was like 2%. Wow. So, so it's like this thing of like, you and I have come up in the space where like, there was progress being made, and it wasn't as overt all the time. Yeah. Um, and bad as it was for the generation before us, but there's still so much to be done. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I'd be curious to know, like, what what are your goals in this space? Obviously, you know, a lot of people in the fitness and, and wellness space are women. What what do you see as, as an area of passion or importance when it comes to working with women um, to kind of change change culture? Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed with, I mean, I work with a lot of women entrepreneurs. I am a woman entrepreneur. I have noticed this in myself and with constantly with women that I coach is that they, I don't want to say they don't know their value. They're not speaking for their value enough, like in what they're charging or the way that they're presenting their services. Um, I'm constantly talking to women and I'm like, you need to charge more. (laughs) Like, do you know how amazing you are or how amazing your service is? Like, why are you not making a ton of money at this? Because they're very talented and what they're offering is unique and incredible. And they're either just timid about it or, you know, for whatever reason, they're not really charging the, you know, what they could be getting. And I, I think, I think men struggle with that a little, but I think they're less likely to struggle with that. You know, they're more like, this is what it is. Here's the price, you know? So I think that's something that we have to overcome as women. We're sort of conditioned to, you know, be a little more like timid about money. And we have to just, I mean, sometimes you have to fake it till you make it, you know, you just have to say like, this feels uncomfortable for me, but this is the price and this is what it is. And it's a great offering. Um, and you kind of keep doing it and eventually it gets comfortable. So that's, that's definitely something I've noticed with yeah. women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can affirm this like a hundred percent. I have, I have, you know, created content on, on, you know, owning your value. And I've given like sessions at conferences about it, especially for women in the financial space, like owning your advisory value. Um, because across the board, I always see women under undercharging um, mm-hmm. and, and undervaluing their services. And I think, you know, again, it's, it's, um, I read this thing the other day that, that I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's, that's such a good, you know, answer to this question of like, why are we like this as, as women? And um, it, do you, do you know about Elvest? Have you, have you read about any of their content? A little bit. Yeah. They have, I love their letters from their CEO and their blog posts. And the, the recent one, I shared it on Twitter. It, it was really good. And she was talking about, you know, this, this value perception and the way that women relate to money. And 
the, the things that we're told when we're little about money. Mm -hmm. And so for, for girls, the messaging that we get when we're little is be financially responsible and like be saving and be, you know, be like, be, be very, you know, controlled with your money and, yeah. and guys get a totally different messaging. And so for mm -hmm. me, like, I, I joke with people that I'm a little bit of like a money squirrel and I'm like, I've got yeah. money over here and I've got <laughs> money over here, but it, but it is this totally different perception. And I think that in that same way, you know, guys are, are kind of coached, particularly in business school or higher education to, to be able to ask more when it comes to money. Like we see this in negotiating. Like yeah. I think the stat is like 75% of women don't negotiate when it comes to they're not asking for what they need. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. They're just, they're just accepting it because, because we're like, okay, like, great. You're willing to pay me money to like do something. Yeah. Cause it, and it used to be considered rude. Like you weren't supposed to speak up and, and talk yeah. about money and ask for, you know, I mean, that's just not what we did. And for hundreds of years, so we're yeah. overcoming a lot of that. Yeah. And I think too, there is, um, culturally still this perception of like, boys being encouraged to be entrepreneurial. Like mm -hmm. I, I think about Shark Tank episodes that I've watched of like, you know, little kids. And like, I would say nine times out of 10, the little kids are, are little boys, which again, awesome. I think kids being entrepreneurial is great. But I wonder about, you know, every little girl who maybe had an idea for a business, but was yeah. like told to be doing something else. And so I yeah. think that's, that's just something that I think about a lot is like, how do we start teaching not just a grown woman, but, but young yeah. women about yeah. their value and about money and, um, you know, and being comfortable with it and, and not just spending it either. Not just like having, being like a conduit where money goes through you Yeah, because <laughs> we've all yeah. made that mistake as well. Yeah. Um, well, so, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, speaking of money and, and how to charge, you know, what yeah. you're worth and things like that. How do you, you know, cultivate client relationships where, you know, you're on the same page about your value and, and, and where do you go to find people who, who understand what you're worth and, and to work with you? Yeah. Um, I, I get a lot of my clients through the QuickBooks website, which is great because they just come to me and they're looking, they're, you know, at least have an initial meeting with them. And then once I have that initial meeting, it's up to me to sort of present myself well and, you know, outline my services and, um, I, I try to be very clear about what the offerings are because I think early in my career, I, you know, if you're not clear about it up front, either the boundaries are blurred and people kind of push over the boundaries or, you know, they just, there's just misunderstanding and then people are unhappy. So one thing I try to do up front is just be very clear about, you know, what is included in this package or this offering, um, what kind of support they're getting from me, how much of my time they're going to get from me, um, you know, what the price is. And then I also am clear to be like what different, sometimes we'll talk about what different differentiates me from someone else they may come across when they're looking for the service. You know, sometimes they'll say, well, you know, why would I hire you? And I, you know, I think I'm different because I'm a CPA and I, you know, blah, blah, blah. I go through all of the things that make me different. So I think when people come to me, even if the price is maybe a little higher than they would want, they understand that there, there are things to back up that price. So I think just like, I guess in short communication, I try to be very communicative with them 
so they understand everything that they're getting and all of my qualifications. Um, and that I'm, I'm working with them, you know, I have contractors that I work with in my business and sometimes those contractors are doing the work, you know, bookkeeping or whatever it is, cleanup work. But I, I'm very clear to tell them that I am always involved. So, you know, I'm not just farming out this work. I'm always reviewing it. I'm always present for questions. Um, so I think that's um, an important offering as well is that they're, they're interfacing with me, um, the owner of the company and the CPA and all that. So they're not just getting some, you know, sort of low level work done on the side and then I'm charging them an arm and a leg, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of support and a lot of personal support. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, try to be clear about that when I'm do that initial consultation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think one of the things that you brought up that's super important there is, is kind of like understanding the boundaries because for anybody who does coaching work, mm -hmm. this can get a little bit tricky. And I think we've all had <laughs> clients yeah. who don't quite <laughs> respect those boundaries or understand no. those boundaries. And, you know, ideally you're doing things up front to kind of repel those people away. So they're not the clients you're having in the first place. Yeah. But, but talk to me a little bit about how you, navigate the boundaries in your coaching relationships and and like you know do they you put that up front in the contracts like for example you know sometimes there's the clients who email constantly or or mm -hmm. you know text you on the weekend or um you know try and go over their call you know or what have you just wondering how you establish healthy business boundaries because it's something yeah. that i think is really important I feel like this is something I'm still learning. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in the beginning, you, you learn a lot of it the hard way because you do get those people that text you at 10 p.m. and they expect an answer right away or, you know, they email you constantly with really complicated questions and they're not wanting to pay for it and, and all of that. So you learn a lot of that. Like, this isn't working. You will very quickly feel burnt out if you start servicing all of that, you know, where you're just on all the time. Um, so... I started learning, yes, some of it needs to be in the contract up front. Some of it needs to be talked about in the initial consultation, um, you know, so they hear it verbally. Um, what I'm working on now to go a step further is just to um, define my offerings even more. So it's like, okay, if you buy this package, you know, say I'm doing ongoing bookkeeping for you. Um, you get, you know, these X tasks are done for you monthly. And then also you have, you know, 30 minutes of email support or 10 emails per month or however I, I haven't, you know, haven't quite put it on paper yet, but very clearly what they get with that package. And then if they go over that limit, then it's like a per, you know, per interaction, there's an extra cost. Um, so I think that even more just helps people stay within the limits of, okay, this is what's included in my package. And now I've sent 10 emails, so that's over the limit. So I know that I'm going to have an extra cost that month. And that makes me feel like I'm not overworked or giving too much or working for free or that kind of thing, which, you know, you start to resent. So, yeah. And I think that's the, the thing too, is like, you know, it, good coaching relationships have to be healthy relationships to be yeah, for both people, right? For yeah. both sides. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm a big believer in like any relationship, like to keep it healthy, you need those boundaries. But I think that sometimes, yeah. you know, our instincts as women, it, you know, we want to be nurturing. We want to be helpful. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing that we're taught pretty early on is the, you know, we, that we should be helpful, you know, to other people. And it's really easy to, to, 
to be helping so much that we're giving more than, than we're getting yeah. in return. And, and so like one of my big focuses this year is really understanding ROI and the time I'm spending on different things and different people mm-hmm. so that I can make sure that it's all, you know, continuing to be work, not only that's profitable, but that, that isn't, you know, pushing those boundaries and getting into an area where I do resent doing it or where I don't want to take that call or answer that. I think that's super, super important. Yeah. And I think that's really important what you just said. And I think that's a thing that we struggle with as women is we are, we are conditioned to be compassionate and nurturing and and that's great. Like that doesn't need to go away. But we also have to be compassionate and nurturing to ourselves. And mm-hmm. that's where we neglect, right? We start saying, oh, well, they're a small business owner and I just really want to help them. Yeah, I'll work till 11 p.m. on this. And then you don't eat dinner on time and like all this stuff gets neglected for yourself. And then you're not as effective as of a business owner the next day or helping your clients the next day because you're exhausted and you didn't feed yourself. And I, so see, this, yeah, yeah. I see this all the time in female-owned firms. Like I... Yes. I have a client, I won't name names because I love her dearly, but you know, it's, it's, she calls them like her, her babies or her passion clients. You know, she's like, I'm just helping them get going. And it's like, yeah. but what about helping you, you know? Yeah. And it's gotta be, be a two way street. And, and like, she loves them, but all her staff that does the work is like, Hey, come yes. on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. a balance. I mean, it's hard. Like I struggle with it a lot where, I mean, my husband a lot will be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you just doing that for them. Like they need to pay you. And I'm like, I know, but I, you know, I really like them and they're having a hard time, but it's like, you're running a business too and you have to support yourself. So, you know, it's, it's a dance, I guess. sort of. Yeah. 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 Well, it's good to hear that, you know, it's something that, that you're continuing to learn from. Cause I, I don't think there's a secret formula. I haven't nailed it down. Um, but you know, I think it's something to keep at the forefront so that, like I said, you know, that those boundaries are being, you know, upheld and, and yeah. consistent. And I think if they're communicated up front, that's really the best thing you can do because then you can just point to the policy. You don't have mm-hmm. to, it's not coming from you personally and people understand, like a lot of times I'll throw out like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I'm sorry. It said this session was only an hour and Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Like they just try to push a little, you know, but as soon as you tell them they're, they're fine with it. It's just, yeah. 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 <laughs> so in terms of other things that, you know, businesses are constantly refining, um, obviously marketing is, you know, it, this is one part art, one part science, <laughs> you know, yes. and, and, um, you know, you're talking about how you get a lot of your, your clients from, you know, the QuickBooks website, but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just curious to know, like, what other kinds of marketing you do in your business? What kind of content are you creating? Um, yeah. How is that helping grow your business in, in new ways? Yeah. Um, I have found, I I think I started early with my business trying to do a lot of stuff on social media and like a lot of stuff with my website, making it super fancy. And, and that really wasn't super effective for me. I I think that it's, it's necessary. Like you have to have a presence on social media and you have to have, you know, a nice website and things like that, but you can easily get sort of obsessed with it. And, you know, it's easy, it's easy to do. Like you can do it at home. You don't really have to challenge yourself that much. Um, so I, you know, I started realizing that wasn't that effective in actually bringing me clients. What, what has been effective for me in both businesses is being out there. Um, one way is speaking engagements. So whether that was in the health industry or in the, on the business side of things, if I can speak in front of people, they see me, they know who I am, they get to know my personality, they see me as a credible person, they can ask me questions, they're a lot more likely to work with me than just seeing me on online or seeing my website. Um, so that has been effective at, at 
getting clients um, or at least just adding people to your list and kind of having them follow you. Uh, partnerships have been another huge marketing tool for me on both sides, health and business, um, setting up referral partnerships. So with the accounting business, um, I work a lot with tax accountants because I don't do tax filings myself. Um, and a lot of the tax accountants don't want to mess with the bookkeeping. So it's a perfect partnership because we both benefit. So I have a lot of tax accountants that I refer to. I'm like, I don't do tax filings, go over there and they're happy there. And then they send them to me first and I get their books all cleaned up. So they're happy by the time they come to them, all their books are perfect and they don't have any questions. Um, so that's, that, you know, I, I get a decent amount of clients from those types of referrals. Um, and it was the same in the health business. Like I would partner with doctors or, you know, other health professionals that didn't want to do the nutrition piece. Uh, they just didn't have time for it. So they would send their client to me. And it's, it's the perfect kind of marketing because by the time the client gets to you, they've already heard that they need to work with you and this is why. <laughs> so you're really not even giving them much of a sales pitch. They're like, yep, I was told I should come see you and I want to set up an appointment. So that's, that's a really powerful marketing tool or it's, it has been for me. Um, also just free content. Um, I'm, my goal this year is to be a lot better with that, but I have done you know, a decent amount of free content in the past just YouTube videos or for QuickBooks, I do a lot of screencasts and I've gotten clients through that. Um, blog posts, either on my own blog or writing for someone else's blog or, you know, just any ways that I can kind of reach a different audience and, and they can see what I'm about. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I love all those ideas. And I think, you know, I think that's the thing is like, we've kind of reached this, this point with social media where we're kind of on the other side of the wave now, um, where we're like, okay, it was fun, but like, I still have to do real work. And yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, although it's good to continue to use it as an outlet to share, like, yes. it, you know, people who, who may not be a part of, for example, your subscriber list, they, they may, you know, not subscribe to you, but they may just always kind of see your stuff in their feed. And I think that's, yeah, I think social media and newsletters are a great, a great way to just stay fresh in someone's mind. Yeah. It may not necessarily be the thing that gets them to come to you ultimately, but it's like, just sort of reminds them, like maybe they were thinking about working with you and then a, a post pops up and they're like, yeah, I should call her. Like that's kind of how it's worked for me. Um, you know, just to kind of stay like on the top of people's minds. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's a really important one. I, I saw a stat recently that was like, you know, people who are actually interested in working with you, like, I think the number is like, uh, it takes like seven touch points uh, wow. to, to get somebody to actually purchase. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I was like, whoa, that's a lot more like I feel annoying when I'm sending somebody like two emails, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, but, but I think that's really important is that, you know, somebody who may be kind of putting off working with you, just kind of giving those ways to kind of pop up and, and, and yeah. is a great way to reconnect with people. And I think it, it just matters. You know, I, I try and do things that I'm like, okay, would this annoy me if it was in my inbox? Well, if I'm not being super pushy and super promotional and emailing them yeah. every other day, no, like it wouldn't annoy me if I'm just reaching out like once every month or twice a month, like that's totally, totally do, doable, I think. And people are, you know, you realize that there are people who are finding you or following you that you didn't even know because yeah. start, you look at your, you know, click through rate and you're like, Oh, look, wow. that person's really engaged with what I'm doing. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Um, so the, the kind of closing question I had had for you was, um, 
you know, just in terms of the scope of your experience, obviously I brought you on the podcast because I think you have, you know, value not just to offer your clients, but to other women in the entrepreneurial space. And I was just wondering, you know, if there is advice or lessons that you've experienced that you would offer up to other women that either own a business today or considering starting one, what would that advice look like? Yeah. Um, I think when I started a business, I, you know, I spoke to my rebellious nature. So when I first started my business, I was so happy to not be in a corporate structure that I went a little haywire. Um, I think I just kind of, I didn't have any structure for myself and I didn't have clear goals and I didn't have a clear financial plan right away. And I was just sort of flailing every day, like trying to do random stuff every day. And I, you know, I just kind of felt all over the place. And I think that's common with small business owners because there's so much to do and so many things you can be pursuing. Um, once I finally got out of that rebellious nature and was like, okay, I do need to have some structure it actually works a lot better for me. And an example of that is I will look at my, you know, to-do list for the week and I parse it out daily. So I'll say, you know, this project needs to be worked on on Monday and this on Tuesday and this on Wednesday, of course, leaving room for emails and things to pop up. Um, but just having that sort of parsed out like that, it doesn't feel so overwhelming. Um, and I just, I feel a lot more focused and, and if I do finish my project early, then I can leave early for the day, which is a huge, you know, motivator. It's a reward. Um, and also just having clear financial goals. I think this is a common downfall with entrepreneurs is they just don't really plan ahead. I mean, it does take a lot of money to start a business. You have to have some sort of either savings, a loan, you know, somebody letting you borrow like family money, whatever it is, you have to have some source of income to live when you're first starting. And people, I think, just need to think through that a little bit with a rough financial projection, like, you know, how long do I think it'll take me before I'm really making money? And, and what does that look like if I want to make, you know, say 100000 eventually a year? How many clients do I have to have per month? How many new clients do I need to get each month? Just like, and that changes a lot because it changed a lot for me. But at least just having like some guidelines that kind of keep you motivated and, and you know, you can hit. I think is really important. Yeah, so. I think I think that's so critical. I mean, for me, putting those financial guidelines in place really helped me break out into like specific business goals. Mm -hmm. um, like, okay, if <laughs> if my goal is to reach you know X amount of revenue by this point point in time, well, let's break that time period backwards. Where do I need to get to this week? Where do I need to get to this week? Where do I need, you know? And then yeah. for me, it actually helped minimize my anxiety too. It does. I know you think it wouldn't, but it really does. <laughs> no, it really does because then, you know, it, it's hard, you know, being an entrepreneur, there's times where it feels so clear and there's times where things feel really nebulous. Yeah. And when things are undefined, like, you know, okay, there's this massive goal, but I don't know how to get there. Then I feel anxious. And mm -hmm. for me, it was a game changer because it really helped focus that to-do list as to what took priority. And it was like, well, if my goal is to meet this revenue marker by this week, what are the actions I need to take to get there? Yeah. And have I taken them? Okay, cool. Now I can focus on other stuff. But yeah. it helped me really prioritize because I think you go into business because you have all of these great ideas. But then it's like really fine tuning and figuring out like, which ones do I need to do first? And I think it also allows you to identify when do you pull the plug on something? Like, 
okay, like I tried that, but it's not, not bringing in anything. Yeah. Let's table that until another time or it, you know, it wasn't as great of an idea as I thought in the first place. And I think that's the other thing is, is really important is, is by giving yourself those boundaries. You think it restricts you, but it actually creates, you know, a lot of emotional freedom in your business, which is really Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to touch on, I keep, I kept um, thinking to say this earlier, uh, is passive income. And we talked about, you know, women. And I think one thing women struggle with is, you know, we're great multitaskers. We're too good at multitasking. And we take on so many things at once, the business, your health, your family, all of that. Um, one thing to combat burnout is passive income. And this is always like my, you know, dream to have as much passive income as possible. But I think it's very important when I speak with my female or not even just female, any of my entrepreneur clients is like, are you pursuing any sort of mechanism for passive income? Because you will burn out if it's just you and like you're just doing consulting. That's you all the time in order to make money. And that's not very scalable. You know, you, you only have so much time in the day. So if you can get something like, um, you know, a digital program or, uh, you know, anything that doesn't yeah. require your time. Like I just launched a digital um, program, a QuickBooks online training program. And I, I think, you know, it's got everything you need to know about QuickBooks online. It's also a good reference for people. Um, and I took a lot of my time developing that, but in, in the long term, people can buy it and it will support them. And then if they need more support, they can come to me for consulting, but at least it's a good place for them to start. So I'm constantly telling my clients like, what can you do? Like, I mean, maybe they're in the fitness industry. Well, can you do some fitness instructional videos or mm-hmm. anything, you know, an ebook, something like that, that you can be selling on your website because that will help you with, with burnout, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, I call it mail money. <laughs> Like, yeah. what can you be doing to make mail money? Because, because I, I I knew this this uh, he, guy at one point, and he was like telling me about how wealthy his uncle was, and I was like, well, what does he do? And he's like, oh, he owns parking garages. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, like it's it's great. He buys pieces of property, he puts a parking garage on it. His only cost of doing business is maintaining the machines that like people put their credit cards into, and then he gets checks in the mail. Yeah. for the money people pay him. And then that was when I was like, mail money. How do I make mail yes. money? <laughs> How do you make money while you're asleep? Like exactly. that's the dream, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we live like in the most prime time to do we this. We do. Stuff. You know, people are so hungry. And I think that we are in an era where people really do want curated content. They want- Yeah. And then we've got platforms. We've got, you know, Thinkific and we've got Skillshare and yeah. we've got all of these other tools to be sharing you know, individualized expertise and people want it. And I, yes. I think, I think that's such a great piece of advice. And I'm always thinking about, you know, in my business, how can anything that I'm going to be doing more than once be a template for something bigger, you know, yeah. and is that a template that I can then share? Does it turn yeah. into a packet that you can download? You know, yeah. is, is it a webinar? Well, can I record that and repurpose it in another mm-hmm. place where again, it's creating this ongoing content that people are, you know, are, are consuming and paying me for. And it's a great way to, from a pipeline perspective to get people who are maybe, you know, not there yet. They're yes, not, they exactly. can't afford to be a full-time coaching client. Right. It's them in the door at a, at a lower price point. And again, like you said, it, it, you know, once you create the thing, it doesn't 
cost you anything to really right. you know, keep creating, which is cool. Yeah. And it's, you know, it serves that, that compassion component of, you know, we like as women like to be compassionate and nurturing and not everybody can afford us, like you said. So it's this nice, you know, lower priced offering that people can start with. Maybe they're just starting their business. They want to learn QuickBooks. Like, okay, buy the course. They can do a lot of it on their own. And then when they're ready, they can get more support, but at least they can, at least they have something in the meantime to support them. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Awesome. So, so if people want to find you or follow your work further or, you know, get access to that, that online course, maybe somebody's listening to this is like, I don't know QuickBooks. Where do, where do I get that? Yeah, what, QuickBooks. What the for, for people to connect with? And, um, yeah. Um, the best place would probably be through my website and that's just beamfinance.com. Okay. And there's a lot of information about my course on there and blog posts. And I'll be having a ton more free content on there this year. Um, YouTube is another good place if, you know, you're wanting support with 1099s or, um, you know, any of these QuickBooks questions. Um, my YouTube name is Jessica Beam Finance. Um, and then I'm on Instagram at Beam Financial Group. And yeah, those are probably the best, best spots to find me on Facebook. Any Twitter? Any, do you tweet? Uh, I'm not a huge... Twitter fan, so I don't really keep up with it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not the best. I'm more Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a lot of accountant followers on Twitter, but but it's uh it's Twitter Twitter is you know it's like such a weird corner of the internet. <laughs> yeah, I tried to make myself you know work with it, and I just I don't know I couldn't. Yeah. But I sh- I'll get back to it someday. <laughs> someday. Someday. Well, listen, Jessica, I just wanted to thank you so much. I I feel like you had such incredible advice to offer my listeners. And I, I it, this was an awesome opportunity to reconnect. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on the podcast and really fun to talk with you for an hour. So thank you so much for having me. So there you have it. My conversation with Jessica. One of the things I was kind of cracking up about when I was editing this episode was how many kind of life hacks her and I were were sharing. And I think that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about Jessica as a person is she's just somebody who's really eager and able uh, to share ways for people to help themselves both in life and in business, which I think is probably what makes her such a perfect coach and consultant for folks you know, not just in the wellness space, but folks needing financial advice. Um, but it was just kind of funny how that flowed so naturally, the two of us just riffing off each other, recommending tools and solutions to make your life easier. Another thing that really stood out in our conversation as well for me was the way that Jessica described her experiences with her parents, particularly when she was talking about, you know, letting them know that she was going to transition into having her own business in the case of her dad or in the case of her mom, having her mom um, share with her or or encourage her actually to go out and pursue a, a career in the wellness space. Um, that just kind of blew me away. And I was like thinking to myself, man, I really need to get to know your parents because they seem like awesome people and, and they seem like somebody who really believes in their daughter and, and knows how to provide the advice and the backup, um, that she needed at, during those crucial times. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that we haven't talked about enough on the podcast just yet is, is where do you go for support systems? Because being an entrepreneur can be, can be lonely at times, can be trying at times. I mean, Jessica talked about, you know, getting her credit card declined. I think that many entrepreneurs have been through that moment and it's like, you know, that's a lonely moment. Who do you go to to share that with? Maybe it's not mom and dad, but 
know, maybe it's nice to hear stories like this one and, and realize that you're not alone in that experience. And, you know, I think that the great thing about listening to somebody's story, like this story Jessica shared with us today, is that it gives us perspective on the fact that these things unfold over time. I think it's easy for folks to want to create something that just is instant success overnight or is just so well received and you've got so many clients and, and you, you know, just get to do the work that you've always been envisioning. But as Jessica told her story, it was really clear that, you know, her business has gone through different iterations and evolved over time. And it's still evolving in many ways, as she talked about, you know, her desire to create passive income for herself, you know, that's a newer concept for many business owners. There's a lot of people I know who have not even begun to scratch the surface of what that could look like to change their business model up with a recurring um, revenue model or with some sort of passive income so that they're not having to work for every single dollar they earn. And so it was cool to hear her talk about, you know, that next iteration of her business and the ways that she's encouraging her clients to think about those things as well. Um, so all in all, I just, I think this conversation had a lot of juicy little nuggets in it. Some of my favorites, like I said, were the life hack moments, you know, hearing her talk about the support of her family. Um, and then also just the honesty she brought to the table about, you know, where her business has been, where it's going and, and the different people and things she's been connected to along the way and how that's helped her shape her path to really marrying the different portions of her life together to build a business that she loves to have every single day. I think, you know, that's what all of the listeners here are striving to create in some form or another. And it's amazing to get this opportunity to share the stories of other women who are getting to live that way, getting to build businesses that mean that much to them. It's, it gives me, you know, ideas and inspiration of the things that I can be doing and building, and hopefully it does the same for you. But with all that said, I just want to remind you, if Jessica is somebody that you want to check out with and connect to further, you can find her on the internet, of course. Her website is Beam Finance, that's B-E-A-M Finance.com. You can also find her on Instagram at Beam Financial Group, that's B-E-A-M Financial Group. She also has a Facebook page, and I just think it would be great for anyone who's interested to go find, follow her. She's got a lot unfolding in her business. She's got a new baby on the way soon, which is super exciting because obviously babies tend to reshape, change businesses in a way I would know. Um, so I'm excited to watch how that influences and guides her journey into new and exciting directions. And in terms of the journey of this podcast, if you were in love with today's episode or you think you know someone who could benefit from listening to it, make sure to rate, subscribe, and review, and then go out and share it with a friend, somebody who you think would really like to hear stories of other women that are thriving and innovating and creating cool things in the working world. It would just mean a lot for you to pass it on to someone you know. But with all that being said, until next time, I am your host, Madeline, and thank you for listening to the Finding Fearless podcast.